2: On News Radio 680 WPTF.
1: And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner.
3: And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour.
1: Okay, Bill, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you?
3: Yeah, Doug, I've yeah. got a question concerning my wife's 401k. She's got a state 401k where she is maxing out on this, and she has an option to go to the federal 403b. I need to know the difference in the 2 and also can she max out on both of them or is it just one or the other
1: First of all she can only max out on the one the combined limit is going to be the com- is going to be the limit There are slight differences between a 403b and a 401k in normal language we always say a 403b plan is a salary reduction plan for people who work for nonprofit organizations and a 401k plan usually is a salary reduction plan for people who go ahead and work for corporations. Now I understand the state has a 401k plan. So that challenges that baseline definition, but it goes back to the early days. However, there are very slight differences between the two. The one major difference that I do know of right off the bat thinking about them, if I had a choice of which one to go into all things being equal and they're not equal, but all things being equal in terms of where the money can be invested The 403B plan allows you to take control of those assets without retiring, and a 401K does not. That doesn't say that you can roll those 403B monies over to an IRA. You can, of course, when you retire in both cases. But what you can do with a 403B, very few people know this is true, by the way. This is something that is very misunderstood and not known, but anybody in a 403B plan which is generally a tax-deferred salary reduction plan for a non-profit organization, can move that money whenever they choose to another 403B plan that they set up on their own through any mutual fund company and not even tell their employer. With a 401K, you can't do that. Having said that one distinction, that would not be the thing that would make me decide. What would make me decide which of the two to fund would be the investments that you're allowed to go into. In other words, what mutual funds are available? How old is she? Fifty-one. Fifty-one years old, and she wants to work for how long? Six more years. Six more years. It's a very tricky decision. It's not a long time, so you don't want to look for which one has the most aggressive funds. They'll all have very conservative in the money markets or what we call GICs or BICs, guaranteed GICs or BICs, guaranteed insurance contracts. But she's got too many years. She's too young to go there.
3: This is Deborah Lewis, call 919-872-7000 to set an appointment with me regarding your financial situation.
1: So you probably want to work with the help of someone in evaluating what are the underlying accounts.
2: How much does she have in there, Bill?
3: I think about 25,000.
2: In in the 401k?
1: That's right. Now okay. she can't roll that though, Linda. See, she can't put that in the 403b. Right. He wants to know should she now Switch stop over. funding that one and start funding the 403b? Uh-huh. That's right. We really need to look at the sub accounts, at the investment options that are given to her. And
2: you really want to look at your whole picture. You know, what do you have accumulated?
1: What's the income, Bill? About sixty. Sixty thousand. Mm-hmm. That's her income, or yours, or both? And hers is uh, about twenty-eight. And yours is sixty. That's right. All right. So you're looking at about an eighty-eight thousand family income. What's the investment portfolio look like right now? The non-retirement stuff.
4: Um.
5: I guess
1: about fifty. Fifty thousand? That's right. Is that in stocks and bonds, cash, mutual funds? Where is that?
5: Uh mixture of everything. <laughs> uh,
1: the numbers don't look real attractive because it's it's yeah, I'd like to yeah, I'd like to see some real specifics there because uh if she only got twenty five thousand Linda accumulate what do you have accumulated in your retirement plan?
5: Mm.
3: That's federal, and I'll have
1: to check. Yeah. I think you need to work with a certified financial planner to really look at, like Linda said, the whole picture, because uh, none of the numbers come together real simple and easy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Six more years is not a long time.
2: Yeah, and you want to make sure that you're properly planned for so that when you do retire, it's comfortable and, you know, you can cover all the bases.
1: Well, the other thing I'm thinking, yeah. Linda, is if they're making 88000 it may What's not it, be uh, in their best benefit to max out the contribution. They may want to be uh, investing more aggressively on their own outside of the retirement plan and right. just put a minimum right. contribution in.
2: Exactly.
5: <laughs>
1: okay.
2: And that's something we can't answer to, tonight on the air, but uh, write down your questions, Bill. And uh, if we can send you any information, if you'd like further information, we'll be happy to send it to you. Okay. You can call the office at 919-872-7000, 919-872-7000 in Raleigh.
5: I can get, it, I can get back with you, then. Yes, sir. Okay, Thanks. thank you for calling. Thank you,
3: now, If this year is the year that you're asking yourself if you're ready to retire, here are some questions you might want to address, uh, because as you're nearing retirement, you might already be picturing yourself traveling cross country, relaxing on a beach, or hitting the links. But before you move on to the next act of your life, you'll need to ask yourself some questions. Yeah, I
1: would say there are six questions. Number 1, when do you want to retire? Number 2, have you accumulated enough to retire? Number 3, where do you want to live in retirement? Number 4, what's your social security strategy when you retire? Number 5, what's your investment approach in retirement? And lastly, what will you do with the money in your retirement plan? So, these are the questions. Let's dig into them.
3: First question is, when do you want to retire? See, so yeah, since the 1980s, more people of retirement age have remained in the workforce. This working retirement trend has been spurred by many factors, including the shift away from traditional pensions, improved health, and less physically demanding jobs. The vast majority of current workers plan to continue working for pay in retirement, and many will do it for positive reasons, enjoyment, camaraderie, a sense of purpose, but some will have to work to meet their expenses.
1: The second question was, have you accumulated enough money for retirement?
2: That's right. Longer life expectancies have stretched retirement to two or three decades. And to help uh, folks determine if savings, if your uh, savings can stand the test of time, set up a time with us at Lewis Financial Management so we can look at your numbers so we can determine whether or not you should be concerned about not having stashed away enough.
1: Yeah, I want to uh, point out that we do things a little differently at Lewis Financial than most firms. When we try to answer that question, have you accumulated enough money, we do not use a depleting value formula. In other words, we don't use what most people That's do. real
3: important, Doug.
1: It is. Most most firms, when they analyze, what, have you accumulated enough, they say, well, let's see what your living expenses are. Let's put a growth rate on what you've got accumulated, and let's start depleting it over your life expectancy and see if it'll last for the rest of your life. right. My experience tells me people don't like that at all to see their money going down 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 down. So what we do is we analyze your ability to take off enough to always support your desired lifestyle and still have your portfolio of accumulated savings even at the same level or growing to keep up with inflation. That's right. We don't like to see, we're not going to tell you you can make it When is it
3: going to run out?
1: (laughs) That's not what we're going to do. That's right. That's our answer to the second question, and we will help you figure that out. Yes, we will.
3: Give us a call at Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000, and let us help you create a sensible plan. Another question is, where do you want to retire? Almost a third of retirees plan to move to another state at retirement. So deciding to relocate can be a big decision, and this involves careful Planning. You'll want to consider the cost of living, cost to move to an affordable area, and a way to, which will be a way to stretch your nest egg. Look at the property taxes, local taxes, state income and sales taxes, the opportunities for work, access to health care, and proximity to activities that you enjoy. You know what's interesting is North Carolina is frequently in the top 10 number of places that people want to retire to. Mm-hmm. So we're a state where we get a lot of clients who, in our practice, who have moved here because they wanted to retire, and now they uh, want to take advantage of being in North Carolina and the cost of living is lower. So I'm
1: it's- thinking of one client, Debra, <clears throat> who... Early on, I think it was about 15 years ago, asked me about moving to Florida because there was no there was no state income tax, and he was paying a state income tax in North Carolina. So he moved to Florida after he figured it out. Then he found out that the cost of living was higher there, and so he moved. Back. No, no, he moved to Nevada. 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 Yeah, yeah. And now he's moving back to, to
3: North pl- Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Full circle.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, and that's the flexibility you hope to have at retirement. If right. you answer these exactly. questions. Prior to retirement, you'll know where you want to end up and if it's going to work. All
1: right. The fourth question to ask yourself before you retire is what's your Social Security strategy?
3: That's right. Social Security has been providing benefits to retirees for 75 years. So it's important to note that it replaces about 40% of average wage earners income during retirement, but that's only 40%. So that means that personal savings will need to make up the bulk of retirement income.
1: Yeah, you can apply for early retirement benefits at age 62, or you can wait for full benefits, uh, or you can even delay it until age 70. And each of these three have pluses and minuses, which we are constantly dealing with as we're helping clients plan.
2: And working with a certified financial planner, such as the planners at our firm at Lewis Financial Management, we can help you make those decisions. Right. So... The fifth question is, what's your investment approach during retirement? Once you leave the workforce, your paychecks are going to stop, or at least they'll get smaller. So you're going to need to turn your nest egg into a source of income. Moving into retirement, the investment goal shifts from mostly growth to income and capital preservation.
3: The sixth question, what will you do with the money in your plan, is the one that we're going to leave you with tonight. Now, your employer plan is the one that you would have contributed to while working, and rolling over that balance into an individual retirement account might be what you want to do. This would, rolling over the into an IRA, would allow you to continue to benefit from the potential of tax-deferred growth. If you have accounts with previous employers... Keeping track of them can be difficult. You can consider using an IRA to consolidate all of your investments. Yeah, and
1: and I, I want to just bring out that these are these six are only a few of the issues that you're going to need to explore as you move closer to retirement. Planning for retirement is complex, it's very personal. To develop a strategy that works for your own specific needs, we encourage you strongly. Contact us at Lewis Financial Management. Call us at the office at 919-872-7000. You can go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. Well, Lynn, what's new in the area of retirement planning?
2: You know, Doug, people want to know, how do you keep your head when other investors are losing theirs, right?
1: Yeah, a lot of people want to, Linda, you know, because many investors react to market conditions like lemmings, stampeding up the mountain when markets are rising and down into the cold sea when markets are falling. But this herd mentality can be dangerous to your pocketbook.
2: There's a study that found that during a recent five-year period, 200 no-load growth funds earned an average annual return of 12%, right?
1: Right. And still, the average investor in those same funds earned only 2.5%. But why? why? <laughs> yeah, because investors often get into the market too late and get out too early. You see, studies by economists and psychologists have found that investors are most influenced by recent events like market news, political events, earnings, and so on. And they seem to ignore the long-term investment and economic fundamentals.
2: Furthermore, if a movement starts in one direction, it tends to pick up more and more investors with time, right? Right. So this impact of the lemming-like behavior has been made worse in recent years because financial, economic, and other news affecting investor psychology travels faster than ever before, right?
1: That's right. And capital can flow also between nations with surprising ease so that markets respond more quickly to sudden changes in the direction of investor buying and selling.
2: So how do you avoid joining the lemmings? Well, how do you stay calm during market drops and restrain during market updrafts?
1: Certified financial planners like myself, Linda, have several different ideas. Uh, first idea is have a plan. Know why you're investing and what you want to accomplish. Pick a strategy and investments that best help you reach your goals while minimizing risk and you'll be less likely to fall prey to the temptations of greed or fear.
2: Also know your investment personality. Pick investment strategies and risks that you feel comfortable with. Investors are more apt to lose their head when they make investments that
3: they're not comfortable with, right?
1: That's exactly right.
3: You're listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Call 919-872-7000 or visit our website, dougandlinda.com.
1: Third, I guess, Lynn, would be to stick to your investment approach. If you follow a certain type of investing strategy, stick with it unless there's sound reasons to change. Different strategies often can end up with similar results over the course of a market cycle. It's the switching back and forth between strategies that can cause problems, because jittery investors often abandon a strategy that's temporarily out of favor just before it makes a strong recovery.
2: And you also need to sort out the good from the bad. Learn to recognize the difference between a poor investment, similar investments are doing better, and a solid investment that is having an off period; similar investments are off too, right, Doug?
1: Yeah, you know, Lynn. The growth fund investors in that study earlier—they only stayed an average of twenty-one months before bailing out of the market. Even though the average returns that, that those funds came up with those twelve percent returns, it took them sixty months to go ahead and produce that average, but the average investor only stayed in the funds for 21 months, so he never got it.
2: Another thing to remember is diversify. By spreading your investment funds among different types of assets, you're more likely to reduce volatility while maintaining or even improving your overall return, right?
1: Right. I guess another point, Lynn, is to remember to invest regularly according to your long-term plan. Don't worry whether the market or a particular asset is up or down at the time of each investment.
2: And consider load funds. Although a controversial suggestion, some experts feel that people who invest in load funds sold by brokers for sales fees are less likely to sell hastily. Brokers have a chance to calm their clients, and the impact of any upfront sales fee is reduced the longer the fund is held. Correct?
1: Yeah, that's right, Lynn. Last thing I would say is don't read the stock pages. It's the daily following of the inevitable ups and downs of the market that send the average investors reaching for the mailox and the telephone. Instead, just check your quarterly or maybe even six-month statements and stick with your original approach.
2: Write down some of the questions that you have, and certainly if there's anything we can do to assist you with this, we'd be happy to do so. And that number here in Raleigh is eight seven two seven thousand usa Let's take another call, Doug.
1: Mary Ann, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you?
4: Can you, on a trust, designate, say, like at the end of a year, that a certain amount of the trust be given to the charity at the end of a year on a yearly basis? Can you do that?
1: Yes. As a matter of fact, what uh, the, the key are the six players of the Charitable Remainder Section 664 Trust. The donor, which in this case I guess would be yourself, right? Yes. And if you set up such a trust, you want to name yourself as the trustee and you want to give yourself certain powers. And that would be one of the powers that you would give yourself in the trust document, the power to take out part of either the principal or the income from your trust to distribute to charities during your lifetime at the end of each year. Or you could say, which is the more common way, let's wait until my death. In the meantime, I want it all to grow as a retirement plan for me and pay me income, and then there'll be a bigger gift at the rear end for the charity. You can do it either way.
4: I have been listening to you for a number of weeks and have just been intrigued by some of the information that you've shared on ways that um, we fail to reap the benefits of uh, interest.
1: Who was that? Who was that movie actor, Linda, who said "Make my day"? She just made my day.
4: <laughs> Thank <laughs> you, Marianne.
1: <laughs> I'm glad someone out there is listening. <laughs>
4: well, it, it's um, it's something that I've reached the time in my life where I realize I have not been wise in uh, controlling my money. I always felt like I really didn't have an estate because it was more or less just very little in savings, and I now realizing that I would have had more money if I had just controlled it in a more logical way. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, my question to you was, in paying tithing to my church each week or each month, I could take the 10% of my income and put it in the charitable trust, Mm -hmm. which could be to my church, Uh and uh, I would draw an interest off of that, and then at the end of each year, in order to pay my tithing on a yearly basis at the end of each year I could designate it that this amount of that money went to that church but in the meantime I would be building that money through the year and receiving an interest back from it yes that correct
1: yes that's exactly correct you can do it any way that you want the percentages you want to it's sort of like chickens and eggs the chicken has to be big enough to produce the kind of eggs we want but the classic way to do what you're talking about would be maybe to, let's say a person has, uh, oh, I can think of so many different types of things that Linda and I have done in the way of these types of trusts for clients. That number at the office, by the way, is 919 872 Let's say a person happens to have a piece of real estate that they would like after they have passed away, they would like it maybe to go to some charitable cause. All right. Well. They can give this real estate to this charitable trust. The charitable trust can sell it 100% tax-free and avoid all the capital gain. Let's say now maybe there's $100,000 or $200,000 of cash in this charitable trust. It can then be reinvested by the trustee, namely yourself, into mutual funds that are producing a nice income. The charitable trust pays you income through the year, and the trustee is given the right at the end of the year to take whatever percentage he or she chooses, and make that as a distribution to one or more of the charities such as the church tithing that you're
4: talking about. There's a tremendous amount of interest lost that people could acquire through handling their money in just a different fashion from what they understand. The interest on that, on 10% of your income over a period of time, would be quite a nice little saving.
1: It's very nice.
2: Do give us a call at the office. Our number in Raleigh is 919 872 Again, that's 919-USA-7000.
1: You know, it's, it's the concept of social capital. Many people don't understand. They think of taxes as this horrible thing that they're facing. But taxes isn't going to a person. Taxes is going to help certain parts of society theoretically. And our capital is composed of both what we own for our own consumption and what we owe to society. That part that we owe to society is called social capital. That's the part you can't keep. That's the part that you can't keep. But we've discovered a way that you
2: can control it. Right. Because basically what happens, Marianne, is uh, folks that implement this strategy can now find a way to increase their income. You can increase your income. You can also, along the way, reduce your taxes. You can empower your family. You can also impact your community and perpetuate your values
1: all by learning the principles of social capital. But most people simply just write a check to the IRS each year and don't even realize that they have the power to direct it to do what they want to do for society.
4: In a financial statement, would the money in the charitable trust show up as an mm-hmm. asset?
1: No. Well, that's a very good question. The principal does not, but the income does. The income is a transferable asset you can actually assign your interest in that income stream over. Now, let me say this. It's used in both ways. I have seen clients going through divorce who want to make sure that it is not able to be assigned and not touchable, and many people use it to avoid potential litigation issues and liability issues. On the other hand, I know others, which is more common, to where they want it to be seen as an income stream and they want it to be seen as a valued asset on their financial statement. And yes, it is. It's the discounted future value of basically picture you've got a bunch of chickens in chicken houses and you're going to live 30 years. You've got to figure out how many eggs are those chickens going to lay over the next 30 years and then discount them back to present value. You know, how many chickens would it take today to lay all those eggs in one year? And that's the value of the discounted income stream on your financial statement.
4: Thank you. I really enjoy your program, and I appreciate the information.
1: Well, thank you for calling, Marianne. I hope we can help you.
2: If you'd like any further information, call me at the office in Raleigh. That number is 919 872 That's 919-USA-7000. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Well, Doug, there was an article that I saw that had to do with whether or not extra insurance is the best policy for consumers. There's a lot of different types of policies out there on the market today,
1: right? You're right, Lynn. They really are. And insurers are selling you these policies at a rapid rate, selling them policies that you really don't need. You know, they're selling everything from extra insurance on uh, your pet's health to school accident policies for children. These
2: fast-buck artists are certainly targeting the vulnerable consumers in America. And there are some consumer reports that say that 10% of dollars spent for insurance last year was wasted on unneeded life, health, home car travel and entertainment policies and even insurance that pays if it rains on your vacation right
1: right as funny as it may seem Linda, it's a really sad story and there are a lot of fast buck artists out there that are peddling insurance that people don't need and the buyer needs to beware the trick for the consumers now is really to purchase only enough insurance to fit their own needs many people
2: buy insurance with the idea that the more you get the better
1: well, the five areas of coverage that are most needed are health insurance, automobile insurance, homeowner's insurance, or maybe renter's insurance, disability insurance, and life insurance, if you have dependents. If you don't, you don't need life insurance. Anything besides this is really suspect. And I think people just, they ought to learn just to say no. You
2: know, there's a, there's a whole laundry list of policies that uh, people should avoid. Uh, everything from insurance on your contact lenses to car rental coverage if you're covered elsewhere, and a lot of junk policies are sold on emotion. For example, air travel insurance and cancer insurance are included in these as classics, right?
1: Well, insurance, Linda, should protect you from catastrophic losses. So you have enough life insurance to protect your family's lifestyle, and you pay off your mortgage balance and other debts if you die. You don't need mortgage insurance or credit life policies that pay your debts if you die, in my opinion. And I really think that the buyer needs to beware. There are certain types of insurance I think that you ought to not buy. For example, don't buy air travel insurance. Don't buy life insurance if you're single. Don't buy life insurance if you're married and have no children and your spouse has a good job. Don't buy life insurance on your children. Don't buy policies that pay if you're hurt or killed in a mugging. Don't buy cancer insurance, don't buy rental car insurance if you have an alternative, don't buy mortgage insurance, don't buy credit life insurance, don't buy health insurance on your pet, and don't buy health insurance that pays $100 a day while you're in the hospital in lieu of comprehensive insurance.
2: And probably the best thing, Doug, is to work with a financial planner, right? Right. It can help you determine uh, what are your needs and uh, how how to uh, solve those needs.
1: That's the story, Lynn.
2: And That number to call is eight seven two seven thousand. That's USA seven thousand
4: in Raleigh. Let's take another call, Doug.
1: All right, Billy. This is your time. Doug Lewis here. How can I help you?
4: Hi, Doug. Hi. Can you avoid the ten percent penalty on IRA if you're not fifty nine and a half and get early retirement?
1: Yes. Tell me a little bit about yourself, Billy, and I'll see if I can walk you through the process and whether it's right for you. How old are you?
4: Fifty-five. All
1: right, you're fifty-five. That's pretty good, because if you were forty-five, it would make a big difference. And uh, let me see. You're taking early retirement. What's your income, Billy? Uh, well, right now, you're, with early retirement, you're not going to have an income, right? That's right. All right. Are you married or single? Single. you're single okay so the question is going to be how you're going to survive what do you have in the way of your non-investment assets no problem
2: you have some money accumulated huh?
1: so why do you want to take money out of an IRA and, and if, if you can live off of the income from your present investments because
4: it's in stock
1: well that's a different question and you can solve that one without doing the other one you're how confu- much we, yeah, I was yeah, wondering you're, you're, how
2: much are we talking about? She's confusing two IRA. different
1: issues. How much is in the IRA total? 35000 Okay, now what do you have in your personal portfolio? How much is that worth?
4: 300000
1: Okay, all right, so you've got 300000 in your personal portfolio. Now, as far as you're living, uh, you're going to be living off of the income from your investment portfolio, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so from your personal portfolio, you should be able to get somewhere around twenty to 25000 a year income. Mm-hmm. So the question then comes, if you take early retirement and you've got this uh, money from retirement, you can roll this over to an IRA rollover account. Or you can sell. Now, you say these stocks are... Was this a 401k plan? Mm-hmm. Okay. What you want to do, you want to set up an IRA rollover account.
4: Oh, wait a minute. The money we're talking about is at a brokerage firm. It's not with my company. I do have one with my company.
1: All right. So what's how much is the one that's your company worth? That's the one you've got to make a decision on. About
4: 40.
1: All right. So here's what you want to do. First of all, you can sell all of the stocks inside the IRA and pay no tax. There's no capital gain tax when you sell them inside that IRA account. Okay. Okay? So you've got your gain. You say you've already made a gain. You want to sell it. You can do that. No problem. There's no tax because it's already in an IRA account, right? Uh-huh. All right. Number two, the 40000 that's at your 401k plan, you have to go ahead and do something with that. Now, that money can be rolled over to an IRA with no tax. Uh And then once it's over there, then you can invest it the way that you want. So in your case, there's no reason to be asking the question, why take money out without the 10% penalty? I mean, I could show you a way to take it out, yes. But when you take it out, you still pay income tax on it. In other words, when money comes out of an IRA, if you're under 59 and a half... You pay a federal income tax. If you take out $20,000, then you're going to pay tax just like it was earnings of $20,000 20, $20, of income. Then you pay a North Carolina tax, and then you pay a 10% penalty tax on top of those two. Now, there's a way to beat that 10% penalty tax, but the only reason you would take it out at all would be if you needed to live on. And it doesn't sound to me like you needed to live on, do you? No, but I
4: want to put it in a CD, so it would be safe.
1: Well, there's another way to do that. You could do it in an IRA rollover and put it in a CD. Uh-huh. You've got other choices that where well, you can be safe without having to take it out of the IRA and lose about between a third and a half of it for taxes. Now, there is a way to get away from the 10% penalty tax, but there's no way to get away from the income tax. You probably need to meet with a certified financial planner to go ahead and answer not only this these two questions, but also to design the whole thing for you so that you're comfortable and you get what you, you know, that you you you're set up the way that that you understand and that you're comfortable and that works right for you.
2: Right. You want to be in the right vehicles so that everything's growing the way you know and and in, in line with what goals and objectives and needs that you have. So if you if you'd like to call the office, Billy, I'll be happy to send you some information. And that number in Raleigh is eight seven two seven thousand. That's USA seven thousand. OK, thank you. All right. Take care. Thanks for calling. Well, Doug, I speak to so many people at the office that purchase a mutual fund or some investment vehicle that they are not real clear about. And isn't there a gap between education and the purchase of these vehicles?
1: You know, that's a really good question you're asking, because it's probably the biggest problem we're facing today there is a financial illiteracy out there and people seem to think that buying investments is sort of like going into the donut shop and i think i'll buy myself a you know uh, a frosty cream or a blueberry or a raspberry and i don't have to do anything about it i'll just buy it and take a bite and see what it tastes like well it doesn't work that way Uh, investments need to be understood and you don't understand them unless you're educated and you're not educated unless somebody educates you. And unfortunately, most of the purchases of investments today are not being done through an educational process. They're being done through a sales process.
2: And there is a difference, isn't there? As a There's
1: major a major difference. difference. I mean, it's sort of like uh, somebody calling me and asking me, um, what do I think uh, about his wife? And I say, well, what do you mean what I think about your wife? Don't you know? It's your wife. You should know about your wife. And he says, well, I don't know. I just got married. I don't know anything about her. Well, that's an absurd position, but it's the same absurd position. People say, what do you think about my investment? And I say, well, I don't know about your investment. What'd you buy it for? What do you know about it? And he says, I don't know anything about it. So the obvious question is, well, why'd you buy it? (laughs) <laughs> Why'd you buy it if you don't know anything about it? But I would have to say in the years and years of practice that I've been in this profession, 90% of the people that I ask the question, why do you own this particular investment? Their answer is, well, my stockbroker told me I should get it. And so it was just sold to them.
2: Yeah, I remember that one time we had one client who thought they had bought a mutual fund and they actually had bought an annuity. Right.
1: Right. You're exactly right. People don't know.
2: So just to to close that, um, people really should understand what it is that they're buying, why they're buying it, and have an overall strategy as to what they're doing in the short
1: range and in the long range. In my opinion, there are four things that they should know about any investment And if they know these four things, they will know everything they need to know. And what are those four things? The first thing they need to know is what are the features of the investment? Now, features are guarantees. In other words, you want to know whether you're buying a bond or a stock. You want to know whether you're buying a piece of real estate or whether you're buying a piece of equipment. You want to know what it is that you're buying. What are the features of the investment that are guaranteed? Okay. Second thing, you want to know... What are the expected benefits?
5: What
2: are the expected benefits?
1: Now, benefits can never be guaranteed. Well, they can be. But you want to know what are the benefits that are expected but not guaranteed. For example, you buy a stock. Do you have any guarantee that when you're going to sell that stock, you're going to sell it for more than you paid for it? No guarantee. Right. You could lose your money, couldn't you? True. But you buy it because of what reason?
2: Because you're hoping to make a profit you right. hoping it will. That's grow. An ex-
1: that's a benefit that you expect. You expect you'll sell it for more than you paid for it. All right, another investment you may buy is a bond or CD. Why do you buy that bond? You want interest. You want income from it. You see, that's different from selling it for more than you paid for it. That's an expected benefit. Okay, so you need to know what are the features that are guaranteed. Number two, what are the benefits that are expected but not guaranteed? Number three, you want to know the risks. What are the risks that it's necessary for you to be willing to take to get the benefits that are expected? And number four, you want to know the cost to get in. Any commissions or any loads, what's the cost to get in to be able to play the game?
2: Okay. If you would like some more information on this, I'll be happy to either send you some information or discuss it with you further. And you can call me at the office, and the number is eight seven two seven thousand. That's USA seven thousand, and I'll be happy to do what I can to answer
1: your questions. Tom, this is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. Deborah Lewis, certified
3: financial planner. How can we
1: help you this evening?
5: Hey, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna put Jen on the phone
1: real quick because let's talk about her, the 401k real quick. All right? Sure. Hold on one second. Hello.
5: Hello. Hi. Um, I had a question regarding um, my 401k.
1: Sure. Who's this?
3: My name is Jennifer.
1: Hi, Jennifer. This is Doug Hi. Lewis, certified financial planner.
3: Deborah Lewis, certified financial planner. Fire away. Hi.
5: Hi. Um,
3: basically, I I um, have been
5: laid off, and my company was has been was bought out by another company. Right. And now that I'm laid off, and the company is no longer, I just got notice from them saying my 401k, I can't keep it there.
3: Or that's basically. common.
5: Um, so they said, I guess I could get it in a lump sum, which I don't want, or I could have them. I guess if I don't do anything with it, then they'll just have the company roll it over into an IRA.
2: How much is in the four hundred one k? Um, I
5: think it's about probably sixty five.
1: So, Jennifer, what's your question?
5: What is the best? Because I had called them, which they were surprised because they haven't gotten any notice from the new company yet <laughs> that they were doing this. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I asked them if there was any way, like, I could roll it over into an IRA with the same benefits. That I'm getting now, you know, like not into just a regular IRA, which gets like no. It, I guess it's it's not into in stocks and things like that, right? A normal IRA is just collecting interest.
3: Well, um, let's let's get a little bit more information about you. Um, I guess Tom means that you're married. Is that correct? Uh, well, no. No. Okay. So, are you single or married? I'm single. All right, single and. How old are you? Uh, 45. 45. Me too. <laughs>
5: <laughs>
3: and all right.
1: So let's see here. Any children?
3: Yes,
1: two. You're supporting two children? Yes. All right. And what have you accumulated right now other than this 401k? Well, what, do you, what do
5: you mean?
1: Do you, have, do you own anything else?
5: Uh, Yeah, my home, and I do have another 401k with the previous company.
1: All right, how much is the other 401k? Uh,
5: Honestly, it's more than that one. I I really don't keep track of it.
1: Well, you need to, Jennifer... (laughs) You need to keep, this is your financial future we're talking about.
3: (laughs) Give us a call at Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000. All right. right.
1: What do you think it is? Take a wild guess so we can find out a little more how to advise you.
5: It's probably like, I'd say maybe a hundred.
1: All right. So a hundred thousand over there at the old 401k.
5: Yes.
1: All right. and That
5: company, you know, is fine leaving it there because they're- right. They're a big corporation.
1: Okay. So you have 100000 in an old 401k at a company you no longer work with, mm-hmm. work at. You have a 65000 at a 401k that you now no longer work at. Any, and you have a home. How much is your home worth? I'd say
5: probably like two forty. 240.
1: Two 240000 Do you have a mortgage? Do you owe any money on it?
5: Yes.
1: How much do you owe? I think
5: it's
1: one hundred eighty dollars $181,000. right. Now... Are you and Tom, are you all living together, bringing in other income from Tom, or is it all just you?
5: It's all just me.
1: Okay. Well, the first thing you want to know, that you want to do, is you want to consolidate what you have at both 401ks. Uh Uh-huh. Because a 401k, we like to talk about investments, Jennifer, as chickens, because chickens are a nice, easy illustration. Chickens give off eggs, And we like to talk about retirement plans as chicken houses because there's a wolf that likes to eat your chickens, otherwise known as the IRS. Mm -hmm. So if the chickens, your investments, are inside a chicken house, like a 401k, the IRS can't eat your chickens. Once you leave your present employer... Just like you left your old employer, there's another chicken house which is much better and safer for you, called an IRA. Mm-hmm. And you want to move the sixty-five thousand and the hundred thousand into one new IRA. Oh. Okay. Now you will have one hundred and sixty-five thousand in an IRA. Now, the IRA that you're going to choose is a chicken house. It's not a chicken. In other words, you don't want it to be an investment. You don't want it to be one that's sponsored by an insurance company because they're going to sell you insurance products or annuities. You don't want one that's sponsored by a brokerage firm because they're going to give you their products. You want a you want an IRA that has no investment products and lets you choose any investments you want. Okay. That's what the I stands for, by the way, individual retirement account. Oh, all right. Now, how do you do that? You do that with the help of a professional such as myself or such as my daughter, Deborah. We will help you find the best investments and we like the conservative mutual funds, but we don't like ones that are just limited only to a certain company. We think that you should be able to go out there and find the ones that have the longest records, track records, the best track records, the the, the highest probability of you getting what you want. And then you design your own investment portfolio
3: That's right, because you you might have another 20 years in front of you. And let's say, I mean, who knows, maybe two or three more employers. So the one moment in time when you can take money from one chicken house and put it into your own chicken house, meaning from a 401k into an IRA is when you leave an employer. If you are at the employer for the whole time until you turn until you're over 60, you know, 59 and a half, or until you retire, then you never get that opportunity. So in a roundabout way, you sort of have an opportunity that you wouldn't have normally had, which is to take away those retirement assets from the employer plan and put it into your own individual retirement account.
1: And when we meet with you, we're going to have to really dig into where you're, you know, you've got, you're looking for another job now, right? Yes. Yeah. So we've got to find out, you know, income sources. Right. Living expenses, all of those are part of what we would do when we meet with you. By the way, jot down our, our, our office number, Jennifer.
5: Okay. 919-
1: 919-
5: 872-
1: 872- 7000-
5: 7000-
1: And also write down our website. Okay.
3: That's DougAndLinda.com. Linda... Dot com. Linda.
1: Dot com. Yeah, you spell that's it right. all the way out. D o u g a n d l i n d a. Okay, Doug and That's Linda. what I
5: figured, but I was going to ask it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, uh, you will have a plan, a financial planning session where we can go ahead and really help you see your world and give you the best advice that's best for you. Okay.
2: So write, you know, and write down any specific questions that you might have about your personal situation. Mm -hmm. And uh, then when you come, we can address those very questions.
1: That's right. If you call our office tonight, leave your number on our office line there. Uh, Then Deborah will call you back probably tomorrow, Debs. Yes, sir and she'll go ahead and schedule an appointment to meet with us and we can take it from there.
3: Yeah, Jennifer, you know what? It feels overwhelming and disappointing and all those other emotions that you go through, but yes. if you if you're if you've got at least an objective set of eyes on the situation, it can really very quickly turn from something that was overwhelming and very disheartening to something that's very positive because you got a opportunity to control what you you what you weren't able to control, you know, while you were employed, but um Having someone at least there on your side of the table is is usually the biggest compliment that we get. And we wish you the best, Jennifer, in your your yeah. job search, and the Thank best you. to you and your your yeah give whatever a, comes. Give me a call tonight. I' I'm headed back to the office. I'll get your information. I'll give you a call in the morning.
5: And like, what is the. What is the fees
1: and? Or... We never like to talk about our fees on the air because a lot of our competitors are listening and and they, oh, uh, yeah. and so oh. forth. But, I'll, <laughs> but I will go through. But Deborah everything will cover the fees when you call her. <laughs> a lot of people want to know how can we do it as cheaply as we do it, but <laughs> but she will tell you our fees when you call her.
3: Yeah, I'll talk to you in the morning and we'll go through all the details. Okay. All right. Very good. Thanks, Jennifer. All
5: right. Thank you. Okay. Have a wonderful right. week. You
2: too. Bye now. Bye. Bye. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family on News Radio 680 WPTF.
1: If you're giving away appreciated stock, that stock that's grown in value, especially if it's held been if you've owned it for more than a year, it's much better to give the stock than give cash. If you donate the stock that's increased in value since you bought it more than a year ago and if you itemize your deductions on your tax return, then you're going to be able to get a charitable tax deduction for the value of the stock on the day that you give it away. You'll also avoid capital gains taxes on the increase in value over time, which you would have had to pay if you'd sold the stock and then given the cash to the charity. Now, now Doug, what yeah?
3: about a losing stock?
1: Okay, whole different story. Now, if it's a losing stock, one that has gone down in value, now it's the opposite story. It's much better to sell it and give the cash. If the stock is lost value, it's better to sell the stock first, then give the cash to the charity. You'll still be able to deduct your charitable deduction uh, if you itemize, but you'll also be able to take a capital loss when you sell the investment. So let me give you a couple of examples just to see how 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 valuable it is if you do it the right way. Okay. Okay. So let's say that you've got $100,000 a stock worth $100,000 that you want to give to charity. Got it. Okay. And let's say that that $100,000 stock, you only bought it for $70,000, so it's got a gain of $30,000. If you give the stock, you get a tax deduction of $100,000. That's going to save you maybe $25,000 of taxes, and you're going to avoid paying $6,000 in capital gains taxes. Now, suppose you gave the stock... If it was a loss okay, and you gave the stock. Well, in this case here, you get the same deduction of $100,000. So you you get $25,000 from the IRS. But if you had sold it and given cash, you'd get $31,000 from the IRS, not 25000 So you really need to know how to do it right. and to do it right. Right.
2: The numbers to call during the week at the office are... Area code nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. That's nine one nine USA seven thousand. Yeah, it's new in the world of cash flow planning and reverse mortgages.
1: Yeah, cash flow planning, of course, is much part of what we do at Lewis Financial. In addition to investment planning and estate planning, and the whole new story on reverse mortgages because there have been new safeguards in recent years to change people's minds about reverse mortgages. Some people call them re- re- reverse annuity mortgages. Some people call them Hickams or home equity conversion mortgage programs. But there's been some new changes and a lot of people are using them in very creative ways. I will tell you, I know certain financial planners who are using them to take out a lump sum. And to pay off the mortgage on a home, others are using them for a line of credit. But my personal feeling is, I prefer to use the reverse annuity mortgage as giving yourself a monthly check for the rest of your life, just like another social security check, just like a mortgage, uh, a pension payment. This is exactly the way I like them, and I do like the reverse annuity mortgages or the
3: Hickams. So again. Yeah, and another nice feature of that income is that it's not taxed. That's
1: right. It's a monthly check that's tax-free.
3: So there's lots of ways to use the reverse mortgage, a reverse mortgage, and if this is your question about how best it might fit in your situation, give us a call during the week at 919-872-7000. Yes, people have questions about cash flow planning like our
2: last caller, and, investment you know, planning. Investment planning. Retirement estate planning.
1: planning. Estate planning. We are in the midst of all of it. We like to consider ourselves multifaceted experts. We're not just trying to go ahead and focus on any one aspect of financial planning.
2: The Total Financial Plan helps you sleep well at night and plan for your future goals and your present goals.
0: Yeah.